WDBX, express your love. Yeah, baby. It's like, um, I want to express my love that the sun came out today. I like the sun. It's cranking out power at my house and now my brother's house, too, because Amron came a couple days ago and said, there's no snow on it now. We can test it <laughs> and turned it on. So Good deal. Um, we have the joy and luck of actually receiving some books before they are published. And so I got this book and I got to read it. And it is called The Powerhouse, America, China, and the Great Battery War. It's actually on sale January 26th, so I got it uh, you know, a few weeks ago. A better battery would shake up the world. It would undermine Russia's um, Vladimir Putin, endanger Saudi Arabia's ruling family, threaten OPEC, and transfer China into one of the cleanest industrializing nations on the planet. There would be impossible new wealth for one lucky country, the one where that battery was invented. And for the rest of the world, there would be less worry about climate change and less spent on oil and gasoline. Why is that? Because you can store clean energy if you have a battery. So this book is out. Just, I forget what day it is, but Hmm. uh, January 26th, it is called The Powerhouse America, China, and the Great Battery War. Sounds very boring until you say the subtitle, right? (laughs) Yeah. A book about batteries. Yeah, the battery war. I'm just picturing the batteries lining up and fighting each other, but it's more of a, you know, market battle. Now the the, what do you call it? The guy who wrote this spent two years in a secure federal laboratory in Chicago, <laughs> where one group of genius, a cultish team that included a South African marathoner, a Moroccan wheeler dealer, and a former heavy metal frontman, is embarking on this momental task of physics and engineering. Yeah. It's still a book about batteries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's exciting. I don't know if anybody else. Yeah. I mean, it sounds exciting to me, too, because it combines like the, the science and the scientific research with this sort of spy angle of we've got to get this research done before the other people do. Yeah. It's so like, what was the title of that book again? Powerhouse, America, China, and the Great Battery War. And great is in green. <laughs> yeah. So, And it's got a picture of like China's flag, and they're above America's flag. Uh-huh. Oh my! In in a car, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So let's get into some of the news. Uh, As as you may have heard, especially if you're listening to us online from the East Coast somewhere, um, there was recently massive snowstorm in a huge part of the country. I bet people are using that to say that global warming didn't happen. Yeah, there are there are in fact, sadly, some people who are using that as an excuse. Well, that's like saying it's cold Mm -hmm. out means there's no global warming that's like saying i just ate so therefore there's no hunger in the world yeah <laughs> was that a good comparison that's a pretty good analogy okay so the title of this one is massive snowstorms don't disprove global warming in fact quite the opposite the blizzard of 2016 aka winter storm jonas will definitely be one for the history books the massive storm paralyzed the northeast for much of the weekend smashing records as the second biggest snowstorm in New York City, the biggest in Baltimore, and one of the top five snowiest in Washington, D.C. Thousands of flights were canceled, states of emergency were declared, there was chaos in the streets, Uh, at least 28 people died, mostly from traffic accidents and shoveling snow. Parts of the New Jersey shore suffered severe flooding, breaking records set by Hurricane Sandy in 2012, 
So this was a big storm. And now that you've depressed everybody, I want to point something out. Washington, D.C., I just recently saw a video clip. I think it was from C-SPAN. Yeah. Only women showed up. Only women politicians. Well, not just politicians. Oh. This video clip is a woman politician pointing out that the pages in the room, she said even the janitor who showed up, like the only people who showed up were women yeah. to, to the political office that they they were like, we made it through the storm. <laughs> Yeah, so I just want to point that out. That yeah. Was, that was a funny little I, clip. Yeah, I saw that too. I didn't actually see the video clip. Maybe they could plan ahead next time and do like a sort of coup for women's rights. You yeah, because she literally said it was not planned at all. Yeah. <laughs> just women were the one that said, you know, I'm still going to go to work. There's things need to be done. Yeah. So next time they could be like, all right, the snowstorm's coming. Let's have some bills ready that are getting equal rights for women. <laughs> and the, the camera panned like all these empty seats, you know, and she, I forget how many, you know, it's like 80% men and there were, none of them showed up. Yeah. So it's like, paradoxically, winters have been getting warmer since the mid 1800s and the annual snowfall in the U.S. has been decreasing. And yet massive storms like Jonas, Jonas in the snowstorm, right? Yeah. <laughs> have been only getting more common. The factors that have helped brew this storm are complex, but despite the usual conspiracy theories, there's good evidence that global warming is partially to blame. Here's how climate change breeds more severe storms. Do we want to really go into the science? Yeah, I think we can get a little bit into it. A warmer atmosphere can hold more moisture. Yeah, I, I like the example they say that hand... That's how hand dryers work is the, they, well, there's also the blowing of the air, but the uh, hot air soaks up the uh, humidity and takes it away. So okay. warmer atmosphere can hold more moisture. And sea level rise raises the risk of flooding. So when you combine the warmer atmosphere with more moisture in it and sea level rising, there's more chance of flooding and more chance of precipitation, which if it's cold outside, the precipitation is going to be snow. Well, I just use... How I think of, you know, climate change is I think of you still have the same weather patterns, just everything is more extreme. Yeah. So instead of it raining for three or four days, you get all that rain in a couple hours or, you know, that's the extreme case. But you still are getting almost the same type of weather. It's just in a short amount of time and therefore it's more extreme. Yeah. And so. All right. 5% of polluters create 90% of toxic emissions. Guess where they're located? Mine's located in my backside. But <laughs> with the way the Flint water crisis is unfolding, the reality of environmental racism is front and center in the news. As Ora Bagoda explained so well earlier this week, environmental justice is closely tied to segregation and inequality. It seems like every month there's a new study telling us that pollution is higher in black and low-income communities. Well, January did not disappoint. A new study published in Environmental Research Letters looks into the connections between pollution, race, and income. Other studies have shown that people of color and immigrants were more likely to live in areas of higher pollution. This study, titled... Linking Toxic Outliers to Environmental Justice Communities. 
gets a little bit more specific. The study looked to see if there were superpolluters. Were a small number of facilities responsible for the majority of toxic emissions and measured their proximity to communities in terms of race and income status. So this is basically saying that this is an environmental war. Yeah, environmental between, war on the poor. Between, you know, against poor, not just poor, but poor people of color. Yeah, specifically poor people of color. Because it's, uh, they did find that there are super polluters, you know, so-called super polluters who pollute and, so much more. And it's not a secret. Yeah. They used public data and open source software. They assessed industrial-based exposure estimates and proximate socio-dynamic demographic characteristics on a polluter-by-polluter basis. That's a big job. Yeah. There's a lot of polluters. They found that there's a highly skewed distribution of polluter-based harm generation with fewer than 10% of the nearly 16,000 study area facilities generating more than 10 okay 10% of the 16,000 facilities produce more than 90% of the pollution yeah so then they compared it to the race and income demographics and the results were definitely interesting not surprising if you've been reading about environmental justice and also probably not surprising if you live in some of these communities 90% of toxic emissions came from just 5% of the facilities, and low-income and people of color are more likely to live in closer proximity and be exposed to these superpolluters. So it's been known for a while now that pollution tends to happen more in neighborhoods where there are people of color and people of low income because they're disenfranchised from the political system. But the big thing with this study is it's not just that the pollution's there, it's that the worst pollution is there. The biggest polluters are in these neighborhoods. So basically they're just saying, you're poor, we know you won't have the time or energy to fight us, we're going to put the pollution in your neighborhood. Yeah. So. Um, and there's also the ability to get away factor too, like, you know, if, if you come to realize your neighborhood is very polluted and you decide, oh, I'm going to move to another city. Well, if you're rich, that's easy, you just move to another city. <laughs> if you're poor you'd, and you don't have the money to even pay your current rents, it's hard to get away. Denmark preps for climate change by building parks that can transform into ponds. What? <laughs> That's optimistic thinking for you. Just like, <laughs> it is a, it's a brilliant design solution, but it is kind of funny, the pessimism there, you know. Well, no. I mean, the Danes are the happiest people on Earth. So I think they're just like, hey, let's make a park. Let's have know? it be fun. You know, we're going to be flooded. Let's have a fun floodplain, you know. It's going to take more than a good attitude to prepare for Denmark's coming deluge. Climate change has big plans for the country, including loads and loads of heavy downpours. Ah. In just the past five years, Denmark's capital, that's Copenhagen, has been hit by two alleged hundred-year floods. In other words, floods so... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so disastrous, yeah. I lost. Yeah, disastrous. They're only supposed to occur once in a century. So what's the best way to paddle a waterlogged city to safety? <laughs> Here's one standout effort. An urban park called... Should I even try to say it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know this one. I don't know. Uh, it's got a little uh, circle above the A. So 
What do you think that's? Tatsing? No, that, that sounds Chinese. Find our friends from Denmark to pronounce this one. Tatsinje plants. So it, this urban park transfers into a small pond when Copenhagen gets doused. This may sound gross and soggy. Actually, yeah, it does really. <laughs> but but it's actually really cool. Yeah, because it's cool when you design it for that. If your park just happens to get soggy, that could be pretty messy. But if you design for it, it's fun. I mean, usually how things are designed is to get the water away. Yeah. So here they're actually designing to soak. So it gets full of water and soaks into the ground. Yeah. So during heavy rains, the flower beds fill with water and wait to drain until the storm runoff subsides. The upside-down umbrellas collect water to be used later to nourish the plantings, and Clever Landscape directs stormwater down into large underwater storage tanks. Above these tanks are bouncy floor panels that children love to jump on when they do the energy from their feet pumps water through the pipes below. (laughs) Yeah. So basically they have this big trampoline that the water goes down in. You know, it's like a big screen. The water goes down in through the trampoline, but then when they jump on the trampoline, it also creates energy to pump the water back out. Yeah. <laughs> this is happy. <laughs> that is happy. You know, they've, it reminds they've me turned a flood into happy times. Into happy times. It reminds me of when ki- parents try to convince kids that work is fun. This is a case where work actually is fun. Yeah, Go bounce on the trampoline for a while. You'll save the city. I still love this book um, from Alan Weissman, um, Gaviotis, a village to reinvent the world. And they actually have in their playgrounds all the playground equipment that the kids, I mean, the merry-go-round, the teeter-totters, I think some of the swings even, um, pump water. It pumps it from, you know, deep down in the earth to water everything. So literally the playground, they're like, hey, our tank's getting low. Kids, go out and play. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. This is great. Yeah, it's like – this park is just one of the pond parks that play a part in Copenhagen's larger redesign of water infrastructure. The city faced two options to prepare for its onslaught of precipitation. Updates its gray water infrastructure and expand the sewage system. Or deal with water at street level through a network of parks, cloudburst bu- boulevards, and retention zones. So basically, like most cities do... You just have big pipes and you get the water out of the city, right? Yeah. Through the sewage system. Here they're saying let's do it more like nature does and create ways of grabbing the water and it slows the water going into our sewage system. Yeah. And therefore, you know, doesn't overwhelm the existing sewage system. Yeah. So. Well, of course, you know, it's still important to work on doing what we can to stop climate change, but it's really interesting to see these creative solutions to adaptation. Well, I mean, in Denmark, climate change is creating a sink or swim situation. Yeah. I mean, let's hope this new water infrastructure puts the what? The Cope in Copenhagen. <laughs> Just like <laughs> yeah. the fun in the park. Yeah. I, I love that. I, you know, the, the, the kids pumping the water. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. There's also the flooding there. It reminds me, too, of this novel I just read, Climate Fiction. It was called The Healer. It's set in Finland, and there's all this flooding, and uh, it's like a p- sort of post-apocalyptic, so it's not as happy of a story. I should do a full review of it on the air sometime. Yeah. It's like, um, this next story has been, like, talked about on my tech <laughs> groups a lot 
uh, yeah. solar. Yeah, I saw this a lot, and I saw some of the stories were uh, all the stories I were reading from per solar sources, but some were happy with the news, some were sad with the news, because it's it sounds like a mixed bag. Well, I mean, they have won, but it was by one vote. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. California's rooftop solar industry wins in head-to-head with utilities. Again, one vote. One vote. (laughs) The California Public Utilities Commission on Thursday approved an extension to the state's rooftop solar program, effectively extending the life of the industry and maintaining the thousands of jobs it supports. One vote. Hmm. Well, one vote would have tied it, right? Well, no, one vote the other direction would have been... Because I think it. I think it was like there's only like five people on the commission. Yeah, it's a small commission, so I think one vote would have flipped it in the other direction. Right. So I think it was three for it and two against it, if I remember right. Yeah. So you would think that the utilities at this point would be renewable energy is necessary and needed. Yeah, but they're still fighting it. The decision was welcomed by the solar industry. It is a win which had been concerned about the fees and charges that would have decimated solar's appeal for home and small business owners. Under net metering, customers are given a credit on their bills for electricity they put back onto the grid. Um, net metering is actually a one-to-one. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's net. You know, Whatever they charge you, that's what they pay you when you turn your meter backwards. Yeah, because if they don't have that, utilities try to charge you like a really... They pay you a really low amount for the energy you give right. them. Right. I mean, they pay you, you know, well, whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> Utilities across the country have pushed hard to add additional fees and charges or otherwise undermine net metering programs. Quote, We commend the commission for upholding net metering and protecting solar choice for Californians, Brian Miller, a senior vice president at Sunrun, said in a statement. While today's decision is a compromise that will require the solar industry to adapt, it rejects the utility's anti-solar proposals and continues California's renewable energy leadership, end quote. Yeah. And now here's one of the things that some people were complaining about, that the, uh, they're phasing in time-of-use rates that will require customers to pay 75 to $100 interconnection fee and a few other things. So they're trying to increase some of the fees on it. But they are still allowing net metering to exist. So, on the whole, it's been considered a victory. And, I mean, it is a victory, but at the same time, these fees will add $10 a month approximately on each customer's bill. Yeah. So, so it is like, a hit. <laughs> you know, that was like um, in, now I forget what state, that they said, oh, Arizona, they said they were going to charge an extra $50 a month if you wanted to hook a solar system to the grid. Yeah. And they... All these people stepped forward and fought it and fought it and fought it, and they were like, okay, we'll just do $5. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, $5 and you have a million customers is $5 million increased revenue. Yeah, for nothing. For, for just, nothing. <laughs> just because you complained. And so in here in California, that's what they've done. They they are now charging an extra $10 if you want to have a solar system on. Yeah. And a lot of these small solar systems, you know, they don't, they don't you know, they might save $50 a month. So you have just made it so that that system has, you know, a two-year longer payback. Yeah. So. All right. So we're almost running out of time here. Let's go through a few quick holidays and happenings. We've got National Puzzle Day is today. 
Well, it's yeah. National Corn Chip Day, so can you make a puzzle with a corn chip? <laughs> yeah. And I also want to give out a shout out to my sister, Val. It's her birthday. I know she doesn't actually listen because she's working, but uh, happy birthday to my sister. Well, good thing you record the show. Maybe yeah. you could put, send her a clip. I'll have to send her a link to it. Uh, Saturday is National Inane Answering Machine Day, so maybe you could leave her <laughs> Yeah. Although, who has an answering machine anymore? Yeah, hardly anybody. Yeah, it's like... I, my mom said that the other day. Let me leave a message on your answer machine. I was like, what machine? <laughs> She's like, I mean, <laughs> voicemail. Yeah. Sunday is backward day and inspire your heart with art day. Yeah. Nice. And Monday is National Freedom Day, and it's also in bulk, the holiday transitioning to the start of spring. It says Wednesday, the day the music died. Yeah, because it was Buddy a sad Holiday, day. Richie Valens and the Big Bopper died in a plane crash in 1959. Yeah. And Thursday is Thank a Mailman Day. It should be Thank a Mail Carrier Day. Uh, it's Mail carriers do a lot of hard work to get your mail to you, so thank you to them. And I want to thank the people who do email us happenings in town, and then we get to mention them on the air. You do know that WDBX has an online calendar now that you can post happenings there also. And then different DJs take the information from the online calendar and mention it on the air. Yeah. All right. Is it really January 29th already? Yep. (laughs) It seems like January has flown by. Today, Cousin Andy's presents Groundhog Revival Benefit Concert at the Church of the Good Shepherd. You know what the Groundhog Day event is? They do this every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> we, every year. Every year where they get a whole bunch of our f- region's finest singer-songwriter performers. Um, and they come and, out of hibernation for the winter. They pick yeah. their heads out. <laughs> and each act, you know, each act performs two or three songs. And then the fun part, they spin the wheel of misfortune. Mm-hmm. Which would select a wacky mishmash, you know. So, like, I don't know, sing, you know, this particular song as Kermit the Frog. I'm that's, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think of how they did it. Something like that. It yeah, was there's something like, like they. I think they. I don't remember. They pick like a tune and a song and they mash them together. Yeah, just, it was really funny. I've I've seen it before and it's really fun because you have these accomplished musicians who make this wonderful music and then you have them do something goofy with their music. <laughs> just, but then there's, I mean, the list of different uh performers is long i mean there's at least a dozen different artists so um so that's 7 p.m to 10 30 p.m uh tonight at church of the good shepherd and yep that's tonight I, I, man i'm gonna <laughs> have to redo my schedule i had things planned but now i have to like think what do i want to do <laughs> i do know that I wish I could go tomorrow morning to the Carbondale Farmer's Market, but I'm teaching a solar class all day at Johnny Logan. They actually had to move my uh, class to a bigger classroom because I had too many people registered for the room. That <laughs> Yeah, it's like that's a good sign. So um, Saturdays from 9 until noon, the Carbondale Community Farmer's Market is at the Carbondale Community High School. This community farmer's market used to be called the Winter Farmer's Market. Yeah. Um, I went last Saturday, and I stocked up on greens because I knew I wasn't going to make it this Saturday. And so, wait, it's winter. Why do we have greens? <laughs> because the farmers, the farmers have 
they have greenhouses. Yeah, they planned ahead and they've got all these greenhouses, these wonderful foods that they're growing for us. Uh, so yeah, that's Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon. Also coming up on Saturday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. is the Frack Free Feast. This is an informational potluck with the Community Bill of Rights group. It will feature updates, music, and more, presented by the Southern Illinois Rights Project. On Sunday, January 31st, Racial Taboo film showing at 3 to 5.30 at the Carbondale Varsity Theater. An effective way to overcome racism is for more black and white people to become friends. But how? We can't even have meaningful conversations about racial issues. Why? To answer that, Racial Taboo looks at our history, uses comedy and candid interviews to help the audience gain a common understanding of our past and how it affects our present. Racial Taboo is intended to be a catalyst for open, respectful, and ongoing conversation between peoples of different races. More information available at racialtaboo.com. Yeah. And I think, you know, after they show the film, there'll be an open discussion. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that's part of what's great about that event is they organize it that way so that it's not just a film that you watch and you say, okay, that's cool, and you go home. Afterwards, you get together with other community members of uh, different races and have a discussion. And, you know, you may make some new friends there. You may plan some new events. Anything could happen. So that's Sunday, 3 to 5.30 p.m. at Carbondale Varsity Theater. And also coming up next week on Tuesday, it's the Transportic Playground. That's Tuesday at 8 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. It's a really fun time. People share poetry, spoken word. They even put some fiction in there sometimes. All sorts of interesting speakers there. 8 p.m. on Tuesday at Guy House Interfaith Center. Now mark your calendar for next, man, February already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> February is sneaking up on Sunday, us. Sunday, February 7th, 7.30 to 8 a.m., the Labyrinth Walk at the Labyrinth Peace Park. And it's usually the first Sunday of each month. So, And I do want to mention a film I just came across. You can watch it online. Um, I think we should do a showing locally. It's called Billions in Change. And... Um, this is a guy who made a billion dollars and is using his billions instead of just giving it to poor people to create and solve our greatest problems. So he's looking at energy. He's looking at water. Um, what was the third one? Healthcare. Yeah. So those are the three um, things that really focused on. And they do have a product for healthcare already. They came out with a product. Um, they expect to the end of this uh, year come out with uh, electricity it, it'll be actually a bicycle power um, they say one hour of pedaling will produce enough electricity for a, a day hmm. for the you know someone in a poor area so oh, for yeah. lights and radio and stuff I think I heard about that so yeah. is it called billions billions in change billions in change. Com. you can go com. there and watch the, f the film is like 45 minutes um, and then you can join and they literally say in their thing they don't want any money. Mm. They just want people to help spread the word, share it, and then when they have these, um, like the bicycle, um, if you buy it in America, it will be four times more costly than if you buy it in a third world country. Yeah, so it'll and fund it. And if you buy one in America, they'll donate one to a third world country. Yeah. So, yep. Um, Sounds like a good deal. Yep. 
So you have been listening to your community spirit and the sun's out. Yes. So, so enjoy that sunshine. It's beautiful out there. And listen to us again next week. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>